welcome to the third wheel. This is episode five of the Shadow Rising, which is the fourth book in the Wheel of Time. Today we are going to talk about chapters 37 through 45. I am Tyler, and joining me are Bjorn and Jesse. And Jesse, I see you looking around the room. It's okay. You don't have to use one of those microphones. No one's going to make you record with one of them. But I feel like I need to. Listen, if you want to record with one, no one will stop you. But no one is going to make you do that. You have a what choice. If, what if I hurt someone? Oh god, I'm looking at Beyond. It's your wolf eyes. That's not how that scene everything. goes. Holy crap. I don't know. There's the part where there's like the, the crying mother and like, or grandmother or whatever. And like, I could have protected my people. You and can't like, stop me from podcasting, mom. Yeah, basically. Oh god, I almost made the joke, but I don't want to make that one on air. That's a horrible joke that no one ever knows. Oh my god, but it's so funny. Apparently not. Anyways. Anyways. Uh, There's a reason I didn't take theater as anything past required electives. Yeah, it's because you're clearly bad at it. Anyway. Uh, this section starts with some Rand, and then we get some Elaine and, and the Nave, and then we're and on to Parent time. Lots of Parent time. Which I could always use some more Parent time. Because the next book, Perrin literally isn't in. Yeah, this book ends with Perrin, and then book six starts with Perrin, but there is no Perrin in book five. Where, where, where's Perrin? He's in the same spot. Does yep. not move. He's just hanging out with, with, with Fael for like an entire book off screen. Yeah. Sometimes characters are just not in books from this like, point on. Oh no, I made too many named characters. Yeah, I was just talking with my brother about that today. He was like, there's so many characters, I don't remember anything. It's like, yeah, well, that's because the number of books kept creeping up until Robert Jordan was like, if I have to sell people a 3,000 page book, I'm finishing at 12. How did he manage to get published in the first place? Uh, it's because he pitched it as a Lord of the Rings ripoff. And yes, uh, he is on book 10. I told him, like, just finish it. The last four are really good. Hmm. What is it about those last four? <laughs> uh, the last four are like... With Eleven, Robert Jordan could see that the series was going to end, so he started wrapping stuff up. And then Sanderson, with those last three, was like, Oh, we gotta go. <laughs> like, this series has to end right now. Let's just make everything happen. And also Sanderson is a more, like, competent writer when it comes to interesting, like, interesting things happening on the page in an action sense. It's, like, more actively engaging. Anyways, yeah, I, we haven't we haven't started the first chapter. No. Well, technically the 37th chapter. Don't do this. Honey, your humor is unnecessary at this point in time. Is it Imra Stand or is it Imra Stand? I think it's Imra. Oh boy, I have the pronunciation guide. It's not in here. I was reading it as Imri. Imra. Imri? Oh, wow, we said four pronunciations between the three of us. I go with Imra. Well, let's just say it's chapter 37. Stand. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so Rand's group continues their trek through the waste, and I should have made this chapter the end of the last episode, because <laughs> holy crap, it works way better there. 
Uh, so they're going through the waste. Avienda continues to pester him about Elaine, which has not gotten old yet. And her extremely attractive body and how she's given her heart to him. Yeah. Notably, we were sort of discussing this last time, but in his head, Rand refers to Egwene as the only one of them he really trusted, referring to, like, all the women channelers. Mm-hmm. And none of the women channelers thought that Rand trusted Egwene anymore, but it's no, really nice to if, keep track of. Yeah, I think even Egwene said he doesn't trust me anymore. Yeah. Um, in the... Wherever they were naked in the tent. Sweat tent. Sweat tent. So they decide to stop for the night at a place called Stand. But scouts report that there's nobody there, which shouldn't be the case. Because there's water, so there should always be people. Also, there's just goats walking around, which is non-standard for the waste. Um, So scouting deeper, Rand and associated named characters find that there have been goats left to wander. And um, after finding rooms that are, like, painted with blood, they're like, this seems like trollic work. They pull the rest of the uh, associated clans in and settle down for the night. Uh, we get another conversation with Kadir, and Rand continues to think about how evil he is. And then Rand does some sword practice, followed by some Aeol tactics and spears practice. Uh, there's one bit where... Uh, Avienda has been getting really sassy with Rand. Yeah. And he says, can't you have some respect for the Karakarn at least? And she says, a clan chief is not a wetlander king, Rand, nor is the Karakarn. There is respect. The women... Oh, this isn't Avienda saying it. Who is this? Is this Uh, Rourke? Yeah, it's Rourke. A clan chief is not a wetlander king, Rand, nor is the Karakarn. There is respect. The women generally show as little as they can get away with, but anyone can speak to a chief. And essentially this whole book is sort of building up why Robert Jordan wants the Aiel around uh, as uh, Rand's main ally. Because the Aiel treat Rand differently than every other person in this world. And it makes his experience with underlings a bit more nuanced. Yeah, I mean, that's also why he wants them. He, yeah, because uh, yeah, he mentioned, like, I don't want people that see me as their king and just do whatever I say. Or I want I mean, people that do whatever I say, yeah. but because they want to do it, not because they're scared that I'm their king. Yeah, um, but it works on a writing level as well. Yeah, uh, and Rand does have a little, uh, I didn't pull out the exact quote, but he makes a joke with Lan here as he's getting ready to practice the spears with Rourke about, like, Boy, this mountain sure is heavy. When can I put the mountain down? And it's like, you put it down when you die. I've heard right. that's lighter than a feather. Yeah. Uh, hey, I was wearing that shirt just today. There's a shirt, everyone. There's a shirt. So Matt observes the peddlers doing business from a ways away. Uh, when the Gleeman Jason Natale comes over from the peddlers' wagons to talk to him, um, he wants some stories about what the Aiel are like and details on Radion and the items inside of it. And Matt's head is suddenly full of stories. Yeah, he's yeah. got all sorts of weird stuff. He's like, the holes in my brain have been replaced by other things. And he's talking in the old tongue. Yeah. Like, and he's listening to old songs about battles and thinking, that's not what it was like. Yeah, he's like having obtrusive memories about what the battles were actually like. Yeah, so after dinner later, uh, Trollocs attack. 
but they're dispatched fairly easily by the Aiel. Um, there's talk in here about, like, why would the Trollocs attack like this? Well, it's probably for reasons X, Y, and Z, but why do Trollocs do anything? Maybe it's building up to something. Guess we'll find out in 20 chapters. Do, do, do. Do, do, do. Uh, so chapter 38, Hidden Faces. This is sort of a... Why do we care about this character? It, she'll be important later. Okay. Um, but yeah, we're they'll, like... They'll all be important later. Yeah, this is almost prologue-esque in that we're like jumping between three different characters. Yeah. Essentially, it's... We've heard all book that Tanchiko is dangerous. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing why Tanchiko is dangerous, but it's not for the reasons anyone was talking about before. Yeah. It's because it's a political powder keg. And Robert Jordan is so good at writing Game of Thrones-esque political maneuvers. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, like... It's not... He writes it very complex. Maybe not... Good. (laughs) I mean, I barely even feel like I get the point. Yeah, I think the point here is just, like to show that there's a bunch of different factions and they're all kind of working against each other. Yeah, I think if you... The, the White Cloaks, the King, the Sean Sean, the Black Aja. Uh, the Panarch. Yeah, and the Wonder Squad. Yeah. The most powerful of all. I mean, yeah, maybe actually. <laughs> um, so, a woman named Igianen which I just took from the pronunciation guide. Eggy number two. Eggy Jr. is in Tanchico, a city that's clearly fallen on some hard times. There's like no... The streets are like littered with beggars. Um, She's paying for Adam and information on specific women from a bunch of disreputable folks. Uh, And it becomes clear from the way that she's talking that she's Sean Sean. Uh, as she leaves the place that she's in, she sees what Doobie Bail Domo <laughs> and also Jachim Keridan both hanging out in Tanchico, which would be a big, like, hmm, what does that mean? Except that we immediately answer both of those questions. Jachim Keridan is like my one piece of entertainment in this chapter. Yeah, he's just, he's like so simpering, but so evil. He's an utter piece of work. I, and you it's love pretty, to, it's pretty funny. You love to hate it, folks. Like, he was warned that for every month he doesn't kill Randall Thor, a member of his family will be killed. And he's like, and I have more family, I swear. <laughs> yeah. I have tried, but I cannot find him. I cannot. I was told my family would be killed if I failed, one by one. I was promised I would be last. I have cousins yet. Nephews, nieces. I have another sister. You must give me more time. Yeah. Uh, really goes to show that the Dark, dark Friends... Dark One only takes the highest of caliber. Yeah, the Dark Friends really suck. A good flip side from um, whatever that guy was in the second book. Uh, Angel Man. No, Angel oh. Man was in charge. Uh, the other uh, guy. You know who I mean. Ingtar? Ingtar. Ingtar, who was like a Dark Friend by but happenstance. Okay one. Yeah. He was, like, doing bad things. Some might say he was doing wrong things for the right reasons. Hmm. Whereas Keridan is just 
a trash boy. Just oily, schmarmy. Yeah. <laughs> Interacting with another person of that like, you know, Leandrin. Yeah. Um, so he, blah, blah, blah. There's some Game of Thrones thing happening. Yeah. He's going to suppress a coup for the king. Yeah. He's like suppressing a coup in favor of another coup. And in exchange, when they pull a soft coup later, they'll be supported. I have it in writing. That writing's definitely going to do me a lot of good when we don't get supported and instead we get cooed. Thinking emoji. The word coup has lost all meaning. Yeah. Coo coo. Kachoo. <laughs> I do find it funny how Leandrin reveals herself. She's just like... Ta-da, I'm Leandrin. That, yeah. That's who I am. She's like, I'm so evil. Also, here's my name. Here's my name. Don't, You're not allowed say to it. say it. She, yeah. she literally says, that's my name. Don't wear it out. <laughs> it's just like, you've gone by so many other things in your life. Why would you give this tiny weasel of a man your name? Yeah. Also, she somehow knows the name he only referred to himself in his head during dark friend meetings. Bores. Yeah. Don't worry about that. Is she a mind reader? Don't worry about that. Uh, so he goes home, and then once he's there, like you said, Leandrin shows up. She's like, I know you're a dark friend. I know you're bores. Also, you're instead going to perform this different coup for me. And I'm going to brainwash the new Panarch. Yeah. I feel like every character is about to do the I'm a genius, oh no. <laughs> Um, so we follow Leandra now, and we see that she's in a large house with the rest of the Black Sisters that defected, uh, planning how they're going to take over Tanchico and control Rand. There's a bunch of Aes Sedai here, and they're all described. None of them matter. <laughs> they all suck. They're all bad people. And none of them really like each other. No. No. Well, they're all evil. That is, that is not a requirement of being a friend of the Dark. Is no. that be friends with each other. You're friends with the dark, not each other. Yeah. It's like when you try and get two different friend groups together, and then as soon as they do, you're like, oh god, these people don't mix as well as I thought they would. But it's too late to back out, except it's multiplied by 13 people that all want to kill everyone. Like, I know the dark is bad, but sometimes I think they could be doing a lot better. Like, Leandrin's been around for ages, right? Yeah. Like I mean, a really long time. We'll talk about that later in the series, how the dark is incompetent for reasons. We'll get to that. It's honestly, the, the Shanshan are more villainous. The Shanshan are very villainous. Speaking of, we cut back to Aegy Jr. Oh, I wanted to say I found oh. it really interesting how Leandrin gets so upset at that servant woman and then demands that she go tell someone else to punish her. And so it's just like, um, says a lot about her character. And also I just found it funny and I really like, it's not funny, but it's very funny. Like, how dare you listen to us doing this chore we told you to do. Now you must go get yourself punished by someone we previously punished. And you should reward him with some mush because he doesn't have teeth anymore. Yeah, she's, she's a bad person. Yeah. And also... We've made fun of how she, how she talks before, and apparently she talks like a fancy lady to overcompensate for the fact that she grew up poor. Yeah, she's doing the anime thing of, like, she has a... Ojo-sama? Yeah, she's doing a fake Ojo-sama to hide her Kansai accent. Oh, God. Nouveau Rish. 
Yeah. How'd you like that specific reference that we don't even get? I mean, that's not a reference. That's just French. That's just French. Like, Oh, not the nouveau thing. Oh, okay. I don't know about that. I don't know any French. That's new money, though. Like, nouveau riche. Like, yeah. it's... It's not that's translating like, to audio, but I just did and held a shrug for like three seconds. Anyways. Smells like new money. I understand. Yes. But she doesn't even have money. She's just trying to pretend like she has she money. She has the dark. She has the dark, and that's pretty much the same thing. In the she dark, has, you can't see how much money she doesn't have. She has dark one cryptocurrency. Oh, no. Invest in Bitcoin. <laughs> oh, God. She would tell people to invest in Bitcoin because she's so evil. <laughs> it's like that Brandon Rogers video, I'm so evil, I smoke cigarettes. Anyways. Anyways, sorry. back to the plot. There's uh, plot in this chapter? Sort of. Well, not in this next. Iggy Jr. has some um, character development where she's like, wait, women can channel, but also be like tamed in the same way that the unchanneling women maintain the other ones. She's, she's just like, also, how has this part of the land not fallen into death and destruction? You don't need me anymore. I'm going to go play Animal Crossing. <laughs> no, it's just because she's like, oh, no, I can't think about that. That That's not allowed to think that. But then everything she's been like propaganded into believing about like chaining down the women who power who can channel the power before the women who channel power can uh put them on leashes and so it's just character learning that she's perpetuating a bad thing yeah and this character conflict is externalized when she is you know sh- shaken down by a shan shan inquisitor yeah uh he shows up and he is it's clear from the way that the the way that this interaction is written that despite how highly uh Iggy Jr. thinks of herself, that there's clearly a massive power gap between the two. So she yeah, goes down to her basement, she has a uh Soldam chained up with an Adam, and then she goes back upstairs to think about the how all of these things fit together. She's so confused. I just don't know what to think. What if women who can channel aren't all monsters? Nani? Are we the monsters? We'll don't, get to it. Don't think that. Uh, so chapter 39, a cup of wine. One she, really big cup of wine. I was just going to say she only has one cup. It's just that cup keeps being refilled. Uh, so Elaine, Nanave, Tom, and Julian arrive in Tanchigo. And Baildomon do recognize them. Yeah. Fortune prick me by my aged grandmother that do be Nanave's music, he says, as they're getting <laughs> off the boat. Yeah, so Baildomon comes over and he offers them help because he feels bad about leaving them in Falma two whole books ago. But he he he, he tried his best. He did try his best. He just Baildomon is good people, even though he's a filthy alienar. Yeah. I mean, he's corrupt, but, like, he'll care for you. Yeah, I mean, he, like... Scowls in... What's this guy's name? Oh, boy. What's this... What's the guy's name? Julen. Julen, yes. Scowls in Julen Sandar. Yeah. 
scowls in soon-to-be conical top hat. Yeah, we see the first appearance of the conical top hats in this chapter. Thank God. Uh, so he shows them to an inn, and they all get settled. Uh, I like the fact that Elaine made sure that she gets the biggest bed to share with Nanave because she says that Nanave is free with her elbows. Yeah. Um, Elaine just has a long list of Nanave annoyances. Which I want to continue noting that, like, Elaine is nicer and then secretly thinks mean things. <laughs> If you give her long enough, and Nanave is really mean, and then if you give her long enough, she's really nice. Huh. Huh. It's this great little, like, dynamic. Gosh, I sure hope they spend an entire book doing nothing so we get to just explore their dynamic. Laughs, and we're going to the circus. Oh, no. <laughs> no, Daddy, not the circus. Uh, so they disperse for the night. Julian is going out to go and uh, talk to some lowlifes. And yeah, and uh, during this conversation, Julian and Tom are asking Baeldoman about the political situation in the city. And Elena and Nave are like, what are you doing? Why are you worrying about this? Which is like, are Nave and Elaine supposed to be like completely incompetent? Like, this entire last chapter was supposed to be set up of how important the political situation is in this town. And then they're just, like, completely indifferent. I mean, that is basically how... Uh, spoilers, Beyond, but, like, that's basically how this whole plot line gets resolved, right? Is they just bumble their way into <laughs> doing it. While Without the other... understanding the implications. Yeah, and Tom and Julian are like, but we had the perfect plan set up. And they're like, yeah, but we found out how to do it without you. We did it. We fixed it. Go away. We fixed it. Let me tug your mustache. Basically, let me have one cup of wine. <laughs> uh, so Tom's performing and Elaine's like, I'll watch and have one cup of wine. And then she gets drunk because she actually has like three, four, five cups of wine. And also she's 16. Yeah, because this barkeep guy is shady. Yeah. So after Tom finishes up for the night, she goes upstairs to visit him. And she keeps tugging on his mustaches until he tells her that he used to be the bard for Morgays. Yeah, which and is then Elaine has some slut panic for some reason. Which is so ridiculous. Calm down. Yeah, she's suddenly very upset about her mother's purity. And Tom <laughs> slaps her. Thank God. If only we could all be Tom in this moment. <laughs> I'm looking at Bio. I mean, I still don't like Tom, but yeah, Elaine... Should not be slut-shaming her mother. Yeah. Who just sounds like a serial monogamist anyways. So it's not like she has a harem. She no. just has lots of relationships. No, she's not Rand. Yeah, she's not <laughs> Rand. It's fine. She, she, She's not in a fan service harem. She's just, you know, looking for love. She just wants a good guy. In all the wrong places. <laughs> <laughs> um, so after Elaine goes back to her room... Barely. Makes it back. Nanave, Stumbling. Nanave has just the thing for her. Yeah. Dunks Waterboarding. Yeah. Let me just drown you a little. <laughs> Enjoy. And Elaine's, like, inner monologue. She's like, she knew she wasn't supposed to open her mouth underwater or try to breathe underwater, but 
It was very difficult. But it's time. I'm just too drunk. It's time to open my mouth. Uh, so then Nenev goes to Teleron Riyadh with a lane keeping watch, which seems like the height of folly. Nenev has an adventure there, meeting Birgitta. Uh, she sees a non Aiel man outside of Ruidion. Hmm. Mm. He looks so much like Lan. No, no, no. That's the guy in Iman's field. There's a nobleman-looking guy, or some guy in nice clothes in the Aiel waist, poking at Roideon. Interesting. Uh, and then, yes, she goes to Iman's field and is shot at by a guy that looks just like Lan. And she wakes up not she, happy. Yeah, she's like, he looked just like Lan. I'm so sad. Now I'm thinking about how much... Lan never shoots arrows at me like that. Uh, so the next morning, the group reconvenes with Elaine like dying at the table uh, to plan their hunt for the Black Aja, and they disperse for the day. Uh, which, hey, congrats. That's the other bad chapter in the book. Done. That was so easy. I don't think it I mean, was bad. I was thinking of the chapter before this as the bad chapter. Oh, well... That chapter was just fine because it got to the point and then just, like, happened. Well, listen, I will say I didn't think it was bad on this read doing notes. It was when I was first slash second reading this book, um, Jesse, where, like, this was the book where you and I were kind of neck and neck. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I was going through it, this was the one that I thought was the other bad one. No, for me, the anthology chapter of everything going on in Tanchico was the boring chapter. Got it. Well, either way, it's done. We're on to parent time. So much parent time. Uh, chapter 40, Hunter of Trollocs. So Perrin is sitting at the graves of his family members when a messenger arrives to take him to where uh, Lord Luke and Fael have just returned from. Or to, wherever. They're all there. Uh, they bring news that almost everyone in the two rivers has gathered in Iman's field to assist in the defense, with expectations that Perrin Golden Eyes will lead them. Perrin doesn't like that. It's like, I'm no lord. My eyes just happen to be gold. So we get sort of a flashback on the first couple of Trolloc hunts that Perrin led, and then cut back to present, where he's taking his now 70 hunters, Fael and the Ail, to go after another group that Gaul has found. When they get there, they are ambushed, with 27 people dying. I don't know if you heard, but there were 27. Did you pick up on that from the text? Yes. I know they kind of buried it. Yeah, I got it, honey. A lot of people died. No, I just mean, like, Perrin keeps saying 27. Well, probably because this is his first time where he's, like, taking control and there's actual fallout. Yes. And he's, he's not used I, to that. I mean, the thing is, that is the case, but it's also... This is one of those things where Robert Jordan is trying to develop a character in the most blatantly straightforward way possible. It's mm -hmm. like, hmm, I wonder why this scene is here. Do you get it? Do you understand? And it's just not very interesting. No. It's like, I understand that we need to develop Perrin as a leader, and that involves getting people killed. This had to happen eventually. Let's just get it over with. Yeah. 
Um, so Perrin is wounded, and then as they head out of the woods, he's becoming delirious and down on himself about the 27 people that died. When they run into a group making music and merry, even in these dark times, who would do such a thing? Anyway, chapter 41, Among the Tuatha'an. Perrin leads his group into a community of tinkers, and it turns out that they were the ones, like the exact group that he already met before with Elias, back in book one. Crazy stuff. Tavarin. I, was... I love how I love how actively Perrin does the Tavarin thing in this book. Yeah. Like, oh. he comes into the camp, and he knows the Tinker greeting already, and all the village hicks are like, what the fuck has this guy been doing? Yeah, he, like, remembers it perfectly from Elias doing it. I I agree that I really like Perrin doing all of the um, Tavarin stuff, but what makes it great is that he's like, I've never even heard the word Tavarin <laughs> while... Like, while people are telling him what a Tavarin is, he's like, I've never heard that word before. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm just a blacksmith. What is that? To him, it's just like... How things go. Or the reason why it's so hard to stay away from Rand. Yeah. So after giving the perfect greeting, which, by the (laughs) way, yeah. A perfect phone call. A perfect phone call. God, I did not have a perfect phone call earlier today. Also, this greeting is way weirder and sadder now, now that we know what the song is. They're brought into the camp to have- And Loyal should be, like, right here. Yeah. If only Loyal was present at a meeting with the Tinkers, he could tell them about the song. He'd be so excited, too. Yeah. They're brought into the camp to have their wounds tended. During this, like, okay, if this exchange that I'm about to read was in a different book, I would find it really entertaining. Unfortunately- this book is like taking a bad gender politics 101 class. But the exchange is glaring at the two women. Parents said, Hello, do you remember me? I am right here. Stop trying to talk over my head. They looked at him for a moment. Keep him still, Isla told Fail. It is all right to let him talk, but do not allow him to move around. He may injure himself more. I will see to it, Fail replied. Like, so this whole time they're having this conversation about him as he's staring at them trying to interject, and then he finally does, and they, like, acknowledge that he did so, and then continue to ignore him. If... The reason that it's not good is because the whole series is about... Isn't this specific interaction that happens over and over so wacky? (laughs) If it wasn't, I would love it. But unfortunately, we live in a society in which Robert Jordan wrote these books like this. It's it like, could have been fun. It could have been fun. It's like actively being kneecapped. This is the guy on the bicycle like sticking the <laughs> rod into his own bike spokes. Being like, Ugh, gender politics. <laughs> it sucks. Aram comes to visit. Hold on, let me try that sentence again, once I'm sure that you pronounce it Aram and not Aram. Wow. All random, all mid. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it's Aram. Aram comes to visit, and Perrin sends him away. Then we get Fahil's backstory. Uh, I only mentioned that Aram shows up because he's later in the section. Uh, Fahil's backstory. 
Her father is the uncle to the Queen of Saldea and the general of the country, making her a lady and somewhere in line for the throne, as well as the cousin of the queen. She couldn't take being forced to wait at home and learn how to manage the estate while her brothers got to go die in the borderlands. She's Mulan. She's basically Mulan. But but she wasn't shoved into that role because she was a woman. She was shoved into that role because she was now the eldest. It's after her, both. After her other yeah. brother died. Because her, her eldest would have also been learning that role, except they were also learning how to fight. Would have she, also fight. Yeah, she mentions that women don't get to fight. And like the only way that the eldest could have died is if her elder brothers also got to fight and die in the blight. Yeah. I, I, I guess. It's both. I mean, it, it is both. Like, not being allowed to fight is very much the gender thing. But she was going to in- inherit the same essential power as her brothers would have. It wasn't as if she was skipped over for her brothers. No. To, to learn and to be educated and to be trusted to carry on the the political and business, economic, et cetera things. No, but she yeah. also didn't and want then she, and, then, and then she's like, fuck that. Yeah. She's like, it's time I want to songs k- to be written about me. Yeah, it's time to go kill some things. I don't know. She just seemed real young and uh, not responsible. I mean, she would have been like 18 or 19 when she left, considering how long it takes to travel across the entire world. Uh, yeah. So and then yeah. Perrin tells her that he's a wolf boy. Yeah. Which she starts calling him the king of wolves. It's kind of weird like that I didn't even really think about the fact that she didn't already know this about him. Yeah, I mean, I think all she knows is, like, whatever stuff Moraine kind of hinted at. Yeah, it's like, it's so deep into how we read Perrin that we sort of just forget that the people around him don't know. Yeah, I think the only uh, Fail POV we got earlier didn't include much thinking about him. I think it was mostly, or it did, but not in a, like, hey, why are his eyes yellow? So yeah, she gives him some stuff to sleep, and then chapter 42, a missing leaf. So Perrin is in the wolf dream, and something kind of pulls him to the waygate in Minetherin. Uh, it's been opened, and Slayer is there, taunting Perrin. He says the two rivers will be scoured in order to flush him out and kill him. Is that why Slayer is existing? Is Slayer just really trying to kill Perrin? No, I mean, Slayer's just there because... The shadow does weird things to people. Okay. Because that's what I was wondering. Like, what role does Slayer have in the greater purpose of the plot? Uh, I mean, Slayer has a role in the greater purpose of the plot. He's just an evil dude. Okay. Yeah, because Lan's cousin basically got consumed by the shadow early on. And so he was just a shadowy dude hanging around the blight. And then um, Lord Luke went up there later in life, and the two of them fused into one being. He's just an evil guy. Okay. Real evil. Yeah. Not quite Ordeef, but... Correct. Well, because Ordeef is, like, human evil. Slayer is dark one evil. Different flavors. So the next morning, Perrin and Fael RP a hurt comfort fic. But <laughs> Fael shows him all that dairy that I'm told she has. Because she's, like, feeding him and wiping his chin and sewing his clothes together. She's like, you're my wolf king. So Perrin's group departs from the Tinkers. Perrin is thinking about the purpose of the search for the song and the nature of what the song would even be. Hmm. Uh, Yeah, I'm 
like torn on whether to talk more about the plot of the song, but I think I'll wait unless Bion is like chomping at the bit to hear my thing about the song. No. Okay. Well, then I'll just talk about it when it happens. <laughs> Thanks. Suffice it to. I love you. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh huh. Suffice it to say, there's talk about the song later on with the Tinkers. So the boys sing a song on their way home, which I like. I like them singing this song. Uh, and then when they arrive, they find that Iman's field is ready for war. The tree line has been pushed back. Uh, Note just like it was in Shinar, which is like a great little subconscious callback. I mean, I know that it's like a standard tactic, um, but in this series, uh, same thing. Um, stakes have been planted and people have either found or made weapons, including catapults, which apparently were like unknown to anyone except Varen who read about them in a book. Maybe? Go Varen. Go Varen. Uh, and sentries are set to watch all around. And everyone really wants to get a look at Perrin Goldeneyes. Yeah, they've been hearing about him and raising a banner with a red wolf's head. Interesting. Can't believe you didn't talk about how there was the awkward flirting and uh, Fail promising to dance for him. Oh. Oh, yeah. How could you forget that? How could I forget? And Perrin it- thinking about how great it would be. God, it's so bad. He's a horny wolf. Anyways, everyone treats him like a hero, which makes me think about the fact that Rand has done some epic stuff in this series, but he hasn't really done any heroic stuff. <laughs> no, I mean, he's... Like, well, nothing that would make, like, a, a nation of people fawn over him. No, and the nature of his role as the dragon is specifically, like, not a heroic role. Yeah, uh, it's sort of a... Do what you gotta do, roll. Yeah, it's very much a break us, reform us, but the world as you know it is going to end because of him. That's why people don't like him. (laughs) So yeah, that brings us to chapter 43, Care for the Living. Uh, Most of the greetings home are joyous, but when people start to call out for the ones who died, you know, those 27 people... Perrin collapses and has to be carried inside the Winespring Inn. Uh, After confirming the locations of a few people around town to make sure that he knows, like, hey, this person's in charge of this, Um, he gets to telling some boys that are hanging around about all of his adventures, which even watered down are too much for them to believe. He's, like, telling them about the stone... And already, like, shrinking it in the story. And they're like, there's no such thing as stones. <laughs> or swords. In or stones. swords. No. I've never heard a story about a sword in a stone. And then, as Perrin is, like, slowly becoming more delirious from whatever the Trollocs did to that arrow that shot him, um, Alana shows up to heal him. And he's, like, on the edge of dying, Sucks to be Perrin. I mean, didn't it describe it earlier chapters like a thumb-wide barbed arrow? Yeah. That's pretty nasty. Yeah, also it's like in his rib. Like, hit the bone. Yeah, well, she said that it had like lodged itself back in the rib, so she had to like push it back into the place that it hit him and then pull it out. Yeah. It's gnarly. Yeah, and in the bad way, 
Where things are gnarled. <laughs> Not gnarly in the 90s skater way. Correct. Uh, so chapter 44, A Breaking Storm. This is not supposed to happen until after book 12. Yep, yep. Uh, the next morning, Perrin wakes up to find that Fail was watching over him all night, and that he's weak as a kitten, despite saying that he's strong <laughs> as a horse. I'm a big, strong man. I can do oh, what yeah. I need to. And Loyal took off because Perrin told him the waygate is open again. Yeah, uh, he took off with Gull to go and fix that problem. They were both blaming themselves for it. Loyal was like, I'm the worst. Yeah. And then Perrin in the previous chapter was, no, I'm the worst. Everybody's the worst. Except for Gull. Uh, so Perrin tries to get up and leave, only to fall down the stairs. And he does the anime fall with Fayil, where she's on top of him. Eventually, Fail and Mistress Alvir agree that uh, Perrin can go out to assist with the defense of the two rivers because, hey, Trollocs are attacking, uh, as long as he doesn't fight and Fail comes with. Yeah, so this part that I cut out is long, but it's pretty great because um, they're doing the thing in front of him where he where Mistress Alvir is talking to Fayil and being like, you just gotta talk nice to him and try and convince him that it's his own idea and just sort of guide him in a different direction. And Perrin is clearly getting, like, fed up with uh, all of this. Just do whatever, and Perrin will tell you... Or Perrin will do whatever you want him to. He says, All right, he said. A mischievous impulse seized him. The way she and Mistress Alvir had been talking over his head and batting her eyes as if he were a fool. I can't refuse you anything when you smile so prettily. I'm glad, still smiling, she brushed at his coat, picking lint he could not see. Because if you don't and you manage to survive, I'll do to you what you did to me that first day in the ways. I don't think you're strong enough yet to stop me. That smile beamed up into his face, all springtime and sweetness. Do you understand me? He chuckled in spite of himself. Sounds as if I had better let them kill me. <laughs> she did not seem to think that was funny. No. No, it's, uh... Yeah, I like that Perrin is so fed up with it that he starts making... And also that he's been hanging out with Gull so much that he's making, like, Aiel jokes. And Fael is like, that's not funny. Don't do that. Uh, but Gull would totally make a joke about, like... Rather than letting my wife spank me, I should probably get torn apart by Trollocs. Um, I was just reading a quote today where Gaul makes a joke to Perrin about, like, breakfast is a celebration worth having. Uh, so outside, no Trollocs have attacked yet, even though the alarm went off. Uh, but Bane and Chiad come to tell Perrin that they're on their way in the next few minutes. Uh, the Two Rivers folk form ranks and prepare to defend the village. The assault is dealt with fairly easily, with no Trollocs even getting uh, within melee range. It seems like Tam's pretty good at this. Yeah, uh, but also the warders in Perrin are of the opinion that this was just a test, and that the true assault is yet to come. After a moment of discussion, the alarm cries go up on the other side of the village. Which brings us to chapter 45, A Tinker's Sword. How the heck did they confuse people with Trollocs? They're dumb. Salt of the earth. Morons. <laughs> but it's just like, how? 
I do, just told you. Do do Trollocs travel in multicolored wagons or whatever? Wearing multicolored atrocious outfits? No wagons. I think these tinkers are just, like, wearing atrocious outfits. But again, like... Trollocs can wear atrocious outfits. Multicolored, bright, hippie. Also, the people that recognize them are all of the stupid coplins and congars and... who Some of whom are apparently drunk. Yeah. So... Like, yeah, we just killed some people. Sick. Friendly fire, oops. Chapter 45, A Tinker's Sword. Friendly fire. Uh, it turns out that those cries were, like you said, tinkers instead of trollocs. Uh, after Perrin invites them into the village, which, by the way, we get some really good stuff in here about the villagers being like, hey, no tinkers. And Perrin says some stuff that he regrets about, like, are we just going to let kids go out and get butchered in the forest? And also a joke about uh, tinkers take anything not nailed down, and somebody replies, yeah, but you'd take that and the nails too. It's a village joke. So yeah, Perrin invites them in, and then we get a montage of him taking care of people around the village, uh, seeing to their problems and giving orders. It's banal. He hates it. Eventually, he is convinced to head inside and sit down for a bit, where Aram, Fail, and some assorted village folk are working or recovering. Eventually, Aram asks about fighting and picks up a sword. He's not Uh-oh. supposed to do that. I think I think Min said something about this. A tinker with a sword. Hmm. Seems pretty fucking straightforward. Yeah. Uh, so after a small scuffle with his grandmother, because he's, like, crying about he could have saved his mother if he'd known how to use a sword, uh, he's declared lost, capital L, and insists on using the sword. So Perrin, Echoes of the past. Yeah. Uh, Perrin tells him to go see Tam, and Fail whispers to Perrin that she can see he's in pain after standing up for her. Uh, Aram's ability to fight for himself. Because Perrin's Perrin's basically saying, like... He would rather people not have to fight for themselves, but he knows they do have to. Yeah, and he... Perrin is basically saying, like, you have the right to defend your life. Um, Perrin supports Stand Your Ground? Uh... Well... We'll agree to disagree. Yeah, so at this point, Bran Alvier bursts in after a moment, announcing that White Cloaks are on their way. Uh, Perrin goes to meet them and finds out that their leader is Dane, not Jofram Bornhold. They negotiate terms in a very tense discussion. That Dane I, is so angry, so irrationally angry. He's like, you killed my father. And Perrin's like, I literally don't know who your father is. <laughs> I'm an honorable good boy. Perrin does the, like, you'll have to be more specific. I've killed lots of fathers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So they negotiate the terms that instead of fighting here to see who gets to take who, the White Cloaks will instead be invited into the village and can make camp as long as they assist in the defense of of Iman's field, and then afterwards they can discuss arresting Perrin. Um, which is the best deal they're going to get, and cough, cough, Tavarin cough, they accept. (laughs) 
And that's the end of chapter 45 and the end of this very quick section. It's really quick. It didn't feel quick reading it. No, it did not. Because nope. it never feels quick reading any of this because harsh but fair. It needs to be edited way more. It feels like reading a fan fiction of Lord of the Rings with a mediocre beta. But yeah, it, it, it was nice talking about it because when I was reading it, I was like, all right, things are happening. Parents getting development. He's yeah. going to be king of the pretty, wolves. It's all pretty basic events. Like yeah. events occur in these chapters. <laughs> wow. They're just not they're just not the most interesting events. High praise. Events do in fact occur. Actually, I just don't have a ton to say about those events. Sadly, praise you could not give to every section we've recorded for. <laughs> Where it's like in this one they described the grass and the yep. roads. God, I know everything about this grass. And the embroidery on their clothing. Yeah. Which actually is, like, relatively interesting to note social class, but it's also like, really, sir, please stop. Sir. Sir, this is a Wendy's. I beg of you. You could have just, like, added another image to the middle of your book. We could have had it all. That's allowed in fantasy books. Rolling in the deep. Uh, Yeah, so that's the end of this section, and then next week we are recording gosh i sure should have had this message open chapters 46 through 53 whoop whoop and then yeah so 54 through 58 is basically like the ending of three different books all happening in the span of what four or five chapters it's pretty good yeah so the next one is very much set up for the end and then the book is going to end a bunch of storylines all at once. Yeah, so that's all we got. Jesse, where can people find us? People can find us on our Twitter, at Wheel Reading. I'll have the link in the description. And if you leave a review on iTunes or your podcast service, we'd love to hear from people who listen, and it makes it a lot easier for people to find the podcast that might be interested in it. Yeah. Um, well, cool. This has been The Third Wheel. I'm Tyler. I'm Bjorn. And I'm Jesse. And we'll see you next time.